0: After more than a decade and a half in the state assembly, Rockland County Democrat Ken Zabrowski is not running for re election this fall. So, we wanted to sit down with him to reflect on his career in government and learn about what comes next. Thanks for joining us in the studio, assembly member. Always great to be here. So, the assembly is a place where seniority has real, tangible benefits. So, realistically, you're more powerful in the chamber today than you were yesterday, and tomorrow is even brighter than today. So, why was now the right time to walk away from the assembly?
1: it was a tough decision. I love this job and I love this place. I love the issues and the people I get to work with, but I'd always known there was going to be a, another chapter to my career. I was elected at 26. I've been here at 17 years. And I just told myself when well, my gut told me as I geared up for another term, another election cycle, that when my gut told me maybe it was time to move on, that I would listen to it. And, um, for whatever reason, Last year, maybe some family stuff, right? A lot of folks think – I have three little kids, five, four, and almost two – think it's the Albany travel. And, you know, that's logistically difficult for my wife and I. But, you know, whatever I do next, I'm sure I'll be traveling and, you know, I'll be working at it 120%. But the election cycles get to be a lot. Every other year, it's nonstop stress. Nonstop, it's a whole – you know, second full time job. So, if I had to think about maybe a moment, it was maybe when I was signing my kids up for T Ball and they asked if there would be volunteers on, you know, Saturdays and Sundays. And I had to think to myself, can I volunteer? I probably can't. I'll have so many things during this election cycle. And it's probably that
0: more than anything else. Well, you've described this job as kind of all-encompassing, but serving in the state legislature can take a lot of different forms depending on how a lawmaker wants to approach their job. So was there any thoughts about maybe slowing down in the position or taking on less in order to make it more palatable for your personal life so that you could be the the coach of a championship-winning softball team?
1: (laughs) Not for me. I I only know how to do this job the way I've done it, and I think to slow down... And people suggested that to me. Well, you should be okay in an election cycle. Just, you know, take it easier. That would add stress to myself. Oftentimes, if it's a Saturday or Sunday during election season or else, and if I skip something because I'm doing something with my kids or my family, I I actually have, like, a level of stress about that. Mm -hmm. You know, I've been doing this for so long that I want to do it the same way. And, you know, I'll be sitting there doing something with my family and stressing that, ah, maybe I could have spent a half hour there, 45 minutes there. You find yourself not as present with your family. And so, you know, it's, it was just, it was just time. And like I said, I I was not going to run every other year and do this my entire career. I'm 43 years old now. So the time to probably move into a new chapter is now instead of, you know, three, four or five terms from now.
0: You got elected, as you mentioned, in your mid-20s. At the time, did you envision that you would stay the rest of your life in potentially elected office, that maybe the Assembly would be a launching pad for Congress?
1: I don't know what I thought at the time. Honestly, I I don't think I would have envisioned that I would still be here. Probably at the time thought maybe a few terms. I don't know. You know, I've thought about other times. I I did run once during my time here for something else and and was unsuccessful in a primary for district attorney. I've only thought about Congress for maybe like half a second here and there. And and the way the seat has been, too, it's like it was three assembly members, I mean, uh, Congress members in Rockland. Then there was one. There was Nita Lowy and then once i you know got married and started to have a family that job is even worse with little kids
0: at least it seems to me so that was never really in the cards and rewinding back to that initial decision to run for assembly to run for a seat that your father held before his untimely passing was that a difficult decision to run to succeed him yes it was i
1: think People assumed I was going to run, but I was very much up in the air at the time. I had gone through my father's illness, which was um, only about a year long, but it was a very obviously emotional uh, time. Um, I had been practicing law with him at the time. I was very close to my father, um, and I was just tired. I was also starting a legal career at the time, and I knew I was coming to a fork in the road, and if I took the assembly, I'd be able to maybe practice some law, but in a much less capacity than I intended to. I eventually jumped into the race. It was a tough decision. You know, I think I made the right decision. You never know what would happen otherwise. But um, I was not all in at the time.
0: Well, speaking of practicing law and the assembly, there's new rules that are put in place about limiting what you can earn outside of the assembly. So did that enter into your equation at all? Is this current decision making? Because you live in a very expensive part of the state.
1: Yeah, not really. Um my law practice has gotten less and less over the years that I've been here and I earn far less than the limits. So, it wasn't really an issue for me the new the new rules personally. I do keep a small active law practice in Rockland County. I basically represent a condominium complex that I represented, you know, since I've been here for a couple decades. But that's about it. I used to do some probate work and some estate work and things, but it's not really conducive to being able to practice law. And practicing law part-time is
0: difficult. As you've tackled the challenges of being an assembly member for nearly 20 years, how, if at all, do you think about your father and his approach to this job?
1: It's interesting. My father's political career was far more in county government and local government than was in the assembly, he only served a little under two terms mm-hmm. in the state legislature, so I certainly learned a lot from my father, but our approaches are probably different he he could be he could be a very warm but very um pugnacious person at the same time he was involved in virtually every single rockland county difficult issue over the years, and he would he would win, be in a few years, chair the legislature, and then lose and be out for a couple of terms, then win and then lose and be out for a couple of terms. So he was a different person than me. But um, he certainly taught me a lot, and, and um, you know, I emulated him in a lot of ways growing up. But um, his serve, he loved when he got here and loved the assembly, but it was really abbreviated, unfortunately.
0: My own views on politics are shaped in large part, at least initially in my life, by the West Wing, maybe this bright-eyed optimist about the possibilities of politics. And uh, you were about 20 years old when the show came on, so I have to imagine that you saw an episode or two. But at the same time, you actually lived a political life with your father and uh, your family. So. When you approached this job as a 26, 27-year-old assembly member, did you come in as a bright-eyed optimist about the chance to make change and do good for your community, or were you a little more cynical and realistic about the chamber you were entering?
1: I think realistic is how I would describe it. Politics was always a mean to an end for me. What really fascinated me was the legislative process and the inner workings of government, public policy and issues, and certainly I would have the adrenaline flowing during a campaign season, and those could be fun in their own ways as well. You know, when I first came in, I really focused, and and somebody gave me this advice, and I think somebody gave the advice to my father. I really focused on a lot of local issues. I would be everywhere in the district, sitting down with folks constantly, whether it be superintendents and school board members and town supervisors and village and not-for-profit executives— I was at every event and really trying to understand the district and figure out little solutions. You know, people would come to my office and, and, you know, that's how I really got my legislative career going was like focusing on those local issues, whether it was the Rockland deficit or school issues or the lack of full day kindergarten in a corner of my district. And I really did that for a bunch of years before I got more involved, I think, in a lot of the statewide policy personally where I was the author of the bill's.
0: So you just talked about getting to know your district. So I'm curious how you approach the actual decision-making process of whether you're a delegate for your district or a trustee. And by that, I mean, do you try to represent the whims of a purple district to the extent possible? Or do you take the approach that I was elected for these two years and people have trusted me to make a decision, so I just go with my gut when it's a bill i 'm voting on, or whether it 's some other issue that 's before me
1: it 's a great question it 's kind of a secret sauce that's that 's tough to describe, and everybody has their own way of, of considering it. First of all, you never have a perfect poll of your district. Mm-hmm. You, you never is everybody surveyed, and you know exactly what they 're thinking and, and as a uh, representative, you walk around with your own barometer and your old poll in your head talking of people getting a sense of what they think, and you 're trying to mesh that within your own personal philosophy. And so oftentimes, perhaps it doesn't, you know, change the way you think, but it helps you as you're attempting many times when we're in conference, you know, we're not just opposing or supporting a bill, but we're trying to make it better. And so maybe within that construct, you're trying to, you know, mold a piece of legislation to to more fit what is acceptable within your constituency and how that interacts with your own philosophy is, is a difficult thing that it to s- describe. I don't think there's many people that say I'm going to support something that I personally oppose because my district supports it. But it's within that realm of, you know, trying to mend the meld those two things, I guess, which formulate whether somebody's successful or not in both legislative and politically back at home. How can they do that? You know, how can they balance that correctly?
0: Well, you are clearly politically savvy. So have you ever gotten political blowback for something that you've done here at the Capitol? Sure. Like what comes to mind? <sighs> the
1: teacher evaluation?
0: 2014, 2015?
1: <sighs> what a nightmare that was, you know. And what's difficult sometimes, I think, in this job is to um, bring people through the negotiation, right? Um, you got a governor, you got a senate, and you got an assembly. And oftentimes, whether it's a bill or in the budget, you have to come to a compromise. Um, and and you know, if a governor is supporting something, which in that case it was, and you know, you're cr- trying to come to a conclusion, you can fight something for for a while, but sometimes you have to come to a compromise. That's like everybody wants people to compromise, but you know, when it actually happens. It seems messy and it seems like, you know, people don't support it. So, you know, we had felt that we had taken that bill and made it much more acceptable. And I think actually, as history has played out, you didn't get a whole bunch of teachers that were thrown out for because of the standards we set up. But. You know, I've always been a, an ally of public education and know a lot of teachers. And I felt like I spent hours on the phone trying to explain to people what happened, why it happened, how I think it would play out in the real world. And unfortunately, some folks felt like it was like a betrayal, you know, and I had to earn back that trust and work through the system with that.
0: And after a quick break, we'll continue our conversation with Assemblymember Ken Zabrowski, a Rockland County Democrat who has decided that he will not seek re-election this fall after serving more than a decade and a half in the Assembly. For listeners just joining us, we're continuing our conversation with Assemblymember Ken Zabrowski, a Rockland County Democrat who has decided not to seek re-election this fall after serving nearly two decades in the State Assembly. When your political obit is written, what would you like it to list as some of your top accomplishments from your time in the Assembly? Look, from a big perspective, I hope people remember me as someone who did his homework,
1: argued, argued, um, fiercely, but professionally for what he thought, um, was the right thing to do for both, uh, the state and for his district. But, um, you know, I, I, I talked about locally, you know, we had some really unique school district issues from, a a debt issue in North Rockland to the East round post school district, the Rockland County budget deficit fighting for, um, um, responsible zoning and land use and against legal housing in Rockland. Those will be some of the local ones. On a statewide issue, you know, bringing full-day kindergarten um, to my district and within reach for a bunch of others, you know, working on open meetings law uh, uh, changes and the um, some of the transparency stuff, LLCs and paid-for by and the um, the dark money and ads. Um, I did the uh, small business disclosures in my committee. I hope people remember me as somebody that got into the weeds and hopefully, you know, move the ball forward uh, in public policy.
0: And how about uh, work on hepatitis C testing, an issue that is clearly personal to you, uh, given the impact it had on your father?
1: Yeah, you know, that was probably one of my early statewide accomplishments. You know, he died of hepatitis C, and at the time it was really affecting baby boomers because they didn't test blood before the 1990s. So my dad contracted it probably when he had a uh, an operation with major blood transfusions in the 1970s. And it's a disease that sits latent in people's systems. And there is a, actually a treatment and a cure now. But if you wait until you get symptoms, then it's oftentimes too late. So the bill I worked on was to get everybody who was a baby boomer be offered that test when they had their physical. You know, it was opposed by a lot of the medical society and folks, but we were able to pass that, and it spread around the country. But it was a great example because, honestly, you know who I worked with that on? Dick Gottfried. He sat down with me. He had been here probably at the time 40 years, not the 50 (laughs) years he ended with. But it's a really good example of how, you know, somebody like that, sometimes you – You know, you scoff at how long people are here, but he broke through any staff confusion or opposition to the bill, sat down with me, understand it, helped me craft it in in the way to get it passed and helped me push that through. And um, I don't think it'd be exaggeration to say that some people have saved their lives because they got that test, didn't know they had it, got a treatment and got a cure. And so it was one of my first accomplishments and hopefully it's a legacy that I was able to do for my dad as well.
0: Any regrets from your time in office or things that you wish you could do over?
1: Hmm. I don't know. That's a good question. I'm sure when I leave here, there'll be things I wish I accomplished, bills I wish I got passed. But, no, I've really enjoyed my time here. And I'm, I'm honestly trying to not just focus on the past, through these last few months as if nothing has changed. And, you know, work on these issues, work hard on the budget, get as much done as possible. Um, nothing off the top okay. of my head jumps.
0: Well, you outlined how the hepatitis C screening bill became law, which is kind of the best case scenario and how I think we hope our government works, which is the, the best ideas winning out and people being swayed by good arguments. But we both know that the state legislature is a political beast where the best ideas don't always win out. And a simple majority isn't necessarily all you need to get a bill across the finish line. So given that backdrop, How have you been successful in other areas in passing bills or influencing policy debates or even securing money for for your community?
1: A lot of my legislative agenda um, comes from real-world problems and things I saw. A lot of it was not overly partisan. Mm -hmm. Um, If you look at a lot of my accomplishments, I think they have some bipartisan support across the aisle. You know, I, I did the work of talking to colleagues, talking to chairs, talking to, to staff, drafting it in a way that was realistic and not pie in the sky to begin with, and just sort of toiling away at it. And, you know, I, over the years, I built up a, a, a large list of legislation. Some things would pass right away, but some would take years. But when you you know develop 50, 60, or even 100 bills, you know, you have 15 or 20 every year that are probably ripe for passage. And it just sort of was organic and cumulative for me.
0: Anything particularly frustrating about this job that you think uh, the institution should change, either to make a better product or just make the life of a lawmaker a little easier?
1: (sighs) Honestly, what frustrates me now is more the current state of politics than 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 the institution. You know, and I got elected, believe it or not. You know, I don't think there was Twitter didn't exist. I'm trying to remember if Facebook was even there. It It was. It
0: was alive. It was alive, but maybe barely. Right in two thousand, you had to have a .edu. So your parents and my parents weren't on it.
1: Exactly, and and politics has begotten become very performative. You know, the details and the seriousness and the professionalism I think is left. Um, it seems to be checks in the win or the loss column. You're expected to be on one team or the other. I don't like to practice a 51% politics where you try to you know get as much as you possibly can for your side of the political spectrum and then hope to win an election by 51%. You know, I don't want to be naive that everybody can support or you can bring everybody to the table, but I always try to practice a 60 or 65% of, uh, politics where if people oppose what I do, I'm at least massaging the corners of it to tr- make it more workable and acceptable to the broader public. I feel like that was the politics that I started with, Um, and and it's not just here in New York. I feel like around the country, you see a lack of that, and now it's like all-out political warfare.
0: Well, do you feel like that has spilled over into the chamber itself as a result of a real change in the makeup of the assembly, which seems, from my perspective over the last 14 years, to be a a lot younger, and more diverse than it was when I first got here in 2010?
1: I think all my colleagues are, are, are trying the best they can and are fighting for things they believe in. I, I, I certainly do wish there was more of a, a getting to the table and, you know, the old adage of, you know, walking a mile or two in somebody else's shoes. I wish there was, you know, more of that and less of um, sort of the political political buzzword fights. Um that seem to be that, or, you know, looking through things only in one prism, like I said, of, you know, wherever, you know, one side or the other of political spectrum is supposed to be right now. And I, I wish, you know, I, I think the legislature should be a filter for the advocacy networks. God bless them. They, they all push us to do good work, but we represent everybody, and, you know, we should be a filter through from their advocacy to make sure that the policies we pass best represent a broad cross section of New York.
0: Do you think, though, that the influence that advocacy groups have had, particularly in Democratic primaries, has resulted in, say, a democratization of the Assembly chamber more so than 15 years ago because you have these members who aren't necessarily beholden to the Democratic establishment?
1: you can have a a balance and and um you know you could certainly see a, a situation where things are too top down and i'm not advocating for that but advocacy groups generally focus on one thing or one area mm-hmm. and that's not how public policy works um everything sort of uh, uh, you know affects people and is and is tied into each other. So I'm not I'm not saying advocacy groups are bad, but it, it they serve a very vital function, but I think so does the legislature and so does a recognition that when you get into this office you are not just fighting a political battle, you are representing the state as a whole and you know, we should be Putting forth public policies that are well vetted um, to move everyone forward sometimes that's not possible I, I get that, and we do need to push and that 's what advocacy groups do. but I do think the legislature needs to be a bit of a filter for those ideas because advocacy groups are in one area right when when I go home, I always say one of my great adages is don't get caught up in the in the in the hurricane of Albany politics remember what you're going to have to answer when you're on a street fair back in July or August. And that is somebody who is not tied up in one issue or one thing, right? It's just somebody who's at home, knows a little bit. They have some political leanings, but they're going to want to know how it affects them, how it affects the state in a, in a common sense way. And you've got to be able to answer that question.
0: Well, before I let you go, I just have a couple questions about your last name. For starters, you are currently one of three assembly members whose last name begins with a Z. Is that unusual for your time in the assembly? Yes. I was always um, the last in the alphabet, and I told Stephanie
1: Zinnerman that she took my rightful place, and now I have to move on to other things, just like Tommy
0: Ziegler did in elementary school. And what about lawn signs? Has it been difficult to actually ram that in? Do you order special wide lawn signs? How do you make that work? Yes. If you look at my
1: lawn signs compared to others, I, I order a larger size. Seriously. (laughs)
0: <laughs> and, and, and I, I believe you. Uh, and finally, uh, someone like Jeff Aubrey, Assembly Member, who runs the dais, is probably very familiar with calling on Assembly of Zabrowski to speak. But have there ever been Assembly Members up on the dais who have just completely butchered your last name?
1: Yeah, for some reason, people put an M in my name, and I've always wanted to ask a linguist why they would do that. It's Zabrowski. It's pretty phonetically correct. It's certainly a Polish ethnic last name, but they put a Zimbrowski in it. And I don't know why people do that. And they've done that for my entire career.
0: Well, we've been speaking with Assembly Member Ken Zabrowski. He is not running for office again, so you only have a limited amount of time to call him Zimbrowski. (laughs) Assembly Member, thank you so much for making the time. I really appreciate it. And thanks for having me on all these years.
1: Support for the Capitol Press Room is provided by New York State United Teachers, a statewide union of nearly 700,000 professionals in education and healthcare.